0: if you haven't met her, too, be sure and say hi to Grandma. She's going back to South Africa on Tuesday. So she's very sad about that because she likes to be around the family. But uh, it's been wonderful to get to know you as as well. Well, We've uh, had a blessed morning. We've um, cried together. We've laughed together. And now we're going to uh, come to the Word of God together. Jeremiah stood on the porch of the temple, the brand new rebuilt temple. It was shiny and clean and spectacular. And all of the people were gathered in front of him at the urging of King Josiah. And after Josiah had reformed the city, the children of Israel started to once again fall into idolatry and sin. It broke the heart of Jeremiah. And he stood up before them once again to call them back to the God who loved them and the God who promises them life. And here's what he said in Jeremiah chapter 10. Like a scarecrow in a melon patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. He who is the portion of Jacob is not like these. For he is the maker of all things, including Israel, the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord Almighty is his name. Would you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 10 um, is a duet in which the prophet Jeremiah weaves two voices into one song. Author Derek Kidner describes the duet as a polemic and a psalm. Now, a polemic, as most of you know, is an, an attack. It's an objection. It's a critique of something false. Jeremiah attacks false idols because they are worthless, he said. But then Jeremiah offers a psalm, a contrast, a song of praise. And Jeremiah contrasts the matchless, incredible grace and love of God, the God of all creation. He contrasts that matchless God to the empty worthlessness of idols. Now, lest we be too hard on our Israel friends, we must remember that it is so easy for you and I to fall into modern-day idolatry as well. I can give you an extreme example, and later we'll talk about our own lives and some of our own idols. But in my church in Minnesota, we had a man, a young man, that came with his family to church. Uh, His name was Kenny. And uh, Kenny had had an extraordinary life. He was... uh, Uh, one of the top athletes in all of uh, the nation in high school. He received a full-ride scholarship to Florida State University as on a football scholarship and played four years there, All-American one year. And uh, he, along with that, all the fame and the accolades that you would expect that come with a a highly touted recruit that perhaps was going to go on to the NFL, even though he didn't. But Kenny understood this life to be about himself. Even though he was raised in the church, Everything around him was for pleasure. Everything around him was for propping up his own image and making himself look good in the world. As a part of that whole malaise, uh, Kenny got connected to drugs and eventually fell into an addiction that was profound. Well, at this point, when I met Kenny, he was trying to get off of drugs, get his family back together. His wife had given him an ultimatum. So they said, well, let's try church. Maybe that will help our family. And they came to our church in Roseville. Well, shortly after that, uh, Kenny made a profession, a renewed profession of faith, and was trying to get involved in church and everything. But over the weeks and months, I, I detected in him that there was not this real centering. And sure enough, come to find out that this demon... Drugs. And friends, don't ever think it's anything but this demon drug addiction so deeply had its talons in Kenny's soul that he simply left. He left his wife, his children. Uh, When I left Minnesota back in 2000, uh, as far as I know, he was still living on the streets. How is it possible when you've experienced The mighty works of God. When you have seen the unbelievable love and mystery and joy and grace that God lavishes upon his children. How is it possible that we experience that and then somehow, some way, like Kenny, decide that there is something else we need that will give us significance? There is something else we need that will satisfy the longings of our soul. How is it possible that the Israelites turned away from this God of Abraham and they went worshiping other idols once again? John Calvin, uh, one of the reformers of the 17th century, at excuse me, the, 15th, the 16th century, said it this way, and when he was commenting about Jeremiah and Jeremiah's complaints about the Israelites, this is what John Calvin said. Let us learn how greatly our nature inclines toward idolatry. Calvin was reminding us, now all of us, not just the Israelites, let us remember, learn how greatly our nature inclines toward idolatry. Rather than by charging the Jews with being guilty of the common failing, which they were, we, under vain enticements to sin, Sleep the sleep of death. Profound words. What Calvin meant by that was that we go along our merry way, we complain about everybody else that's following after other idols, and yet we still have our own hidden idols in our lives, and we literally sleep the sleep of death. Before we rail against Judah, let's take the log out of our own eye. But this universal embracing of idolatry begs the question, why is idol worship so attractive? Well, a couple of reasons. One is this. Because everybody's doing it. <laughs> everybody's involved in idol worship. Including the Israelites. 2,600 years ago. Idolatry is uh, supported by the weight of public opinion. Jeremiah describes it as the way of the nations. And he's especially talking about Babylon. The pagans and the Israelites alike... They were all worshipping idols. There was this international peer pressure. That was kind of the chic, the in thing to do. We're all worshipping these these great gods. There's, the Babylonians were wealthy and successful. They were kind of like Hollywood of 2,600 years ago, right? When the Babylonians read signs in the sky, the Israelites would run to read their horoscope. It was sheik. It was hip. It was Hollywood. It was trendy. It was fashionable. Everybody has their gods. Well you'd say, well, at least we're not like, you know, those weak Israelites. Oh, really? <laughs> Last week, and I confess this, before you and before God, I watched the Oscars. All twenty seven hours or however long it was. Now I I love movies, and you know that of of me. And I wanted, Sheridan, I wanted Lincoln to win so badly. And and but there were some great movies, Argo and others. and, And I and we watched. But what I was fascinated by, thinking about this sermon coming up, is how that little statue is like one of our golden idols, right? We worship Hollywood. They eat green apples. We have gas. I mean, we love Hollywood. It was just so cool, you know, there's Brangelina and there's all these hip, cool people and marriage is just kind of temporary and it's really sweet and cool and beautiful and, and all of that. So exotic. That little Oscar, the, the um, host, Seth MacFarlane, um, it was interesting hearing him, you know, he was trying to crack jokes and he kind of made fun of everybody. But I, I picked up on a couple of things. He really kind of made fun of, he called it L.A. Gay Quiet. That was kind of interesting that Hollywood would laugh about that. I mean, but then he really twice said those uh, right wing Christians. Did you hear that? OK, you're nodding your head. That means you watched it. Ha ha. OK, I caught you. Those right wing Christians. And we kind of hear that. And yeah, maybe they're right. Maybe right wing Christians are kind of weird and they're kind of offbeat. And we love our idols. We watch The Voice and American Idol and the glamorization of sex and money and power and fame and fortune. And it's all so wonderful and so chic and so glittery. And we love our idols. Because everybody's doing it. But there's a second reason that idolatry is so intriguing. Idols are beautiful. I mean, when they're well done... How many of you have ever been to a Catholic basilica? A basilica. A few of us. There's one in Chicago. Sherry and I visited once. It is unbelievable the icons that they have there. They are magnificent. They are incredible. I mean, worth so much money in this gold and diamonds and beauty. We love our idols because they are aesthetic. They are artistic. They are beautiful. The ancient idols were adorned with precious metals overlaid with silver and gold. Jeremiah said it this way in 10.9. They're dressed in blue and purple. The colors of royalty. Now, before laughing at the Israelites for bowing down to blocks of wood, feel the tug of idolatry in your own heart. Attractive idols of our age, the appeal of rich desserts, satisfaction of controlling others, the allure of sexual pleasure outside of marriage, the comfort of being well liked and well loved, the exhilaration of getting to the top, whether it's in our grades or sports or our job. The relaxation of a luxury vacation, the security of good insurance coverage and a large bank account. Let's be honest, we love our idols. We love our idols. Origen, one of the 3rd century early church fathers, he was a priest in Africa. Origen said it this way, What each one honors before all else, what before all things he admires and loves, this for him is God. These idols attract. They're beautiful. They're the in thing. The world is always looking for something or someone to make them feel better. But here's the message of God through Jeremiah the prophet. He said these idols, whether they're the ancient uh, idols of the Israelites or the idols that we serve today, these idols are worthless. The customs of the people, the wooden idols, They're worthless. They're nothing. They're nada. They're zeros. This is what he said in verses 3 and 4. For the customs of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest, and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails, so it will not totter. Now, the prophet gives up, do it yourself kit for making idols. Now, see, in Jeremiah's day, they didn't have Wikipedia. They didn't have Google. You know, you go, how do I make an idol? They had, Jeremiah had to tell them how to do it. And that's exactly what he did. He said, first of all, choose a sturdy tree in the forest. If you, if you can get away with it, you know, spite of the, you know, if you can get away, with it, get a sturdy, a sturdy tree in the forest, chop it down, drag it back to the workshop. Get out your hammer, your carving tools, and make an animal or a person out of this. Now, adorn it with silver and gold and voila. I mean, it's there. You've got a God. Now, one more thing, Jeremiah says. Nail it down. Verse 4. When it's elevated on a shelf, there's a good chance it will topple and break. And there's something very embarrassing about a wobbly God. I mean, that's kind of people don't like that. I mean, it's very disconcerting about a deity who falls and lands on his face. So be very, very careful about that. Jeremiah is illustrating how ridiculous it is to worship idols. They are man made. Things we have come to believe will satisfy us. And, you know, here's the here's the deal about those things that we come to. We've come to believe will satisfy. They usually do initially. They usually do. There's usually a buzz. There's usually something. You know, that felt good. I love that. That was a good experience. Now, I'm, I'm going to press into that. I'm going to do that more. Up. And so, but it never lasts and it never satisfies. Calvin, again, the reformer of the 16th century said, human nature is a perpetual factory of idols. <laughs> we all know that. Human nature is a perpetual factory of idols. The problem is, Man-made idols are impotent. They're powerless. They're unable to do anything. They are like, in the words of Jeremiah, a scarecrow in a melon patch. How empty, how stupid, how vapid is a scarecrow. Now, don't get me wrong, there's one scarecrow we all adore, right? Every one of us, we grew up with him, and we love him. He's charming and he's cute, but there's something seriously wrong with the scarecrow. Let's take a look. You knew this was coming. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, and with the flowers, and with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. I'd unravel every riddle for any individual in trouble or in pain. With the thoughts you'd be thinking you could be another Lincoln if you only had a brain. Oh, I could tell you why the ocean's near the shore. I could think of things I never thought before. And then I'd sit and think some more. I would not be just a nothing, my head all full of stuffin', my heart all full of pain. I would dance and be merry. Life would be a -a ding-a-dairy if I only had a brain. Wonderful. Why, if our scarecrow back in Kansas could do that, the crows would be scared to pieces. They would? Where's Kansas? That's where I live. And I want to get back there so badly, I'm going all the way to Emerald City to get the Wizard of Oz to help me. You're going to see a wizard? Do you think if I went with you, this wizard would give me some brains? I couldn't say. But even if he didn't, you'd be no worse off than you are now. Yes, that's true. (laughs) But maybe you better not. I've got a witch mad at me, and you might get into trouble. Witch? I'm not afraid of a witch. I'm not afraid of any. Except a lighted match. I don't blame you. (laughs) But I'd face a whole box full of them for the chance of getting some brains. Look. I won't be any trouble because I don't need a thing. And I won't try to manage things because I can't think. Uh, won't you take me with you? Why, of course I will. Hooray! Well, will to deal with Well, in spite of the charmingness of this scarecrow, scarecrows can't walk. And they can't talk. And they certainly can't think. They are empty and... Jeremiah is trying to tell the people of Israel that, listen, you guys have decided to follow something that's not alive, whether it's made out of stone or metal or made out of straw. It is just not alive. The reason the scarecrow was such a sad sack was because, well, he was a few bales short of a haystack. I think we all realize that he wistfully tells uh, all the things he would be able to do, think and say if he only had a brain. He said my head, I'd be a scratchin' while my thoughts were busy hatchin' if I only had a brain. False gods are like the scarecrow. They do not have any brains or anything else. Like scarecrows in a melon patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. False gods. They can't speak, they can't think, they can't walk, they can't do any harm. If they're not nailed down, they'll fall off the mantelpiece. They cannot save from sin and death. They cannot satisfy the needs of your souls. They are empty, lifeless, and simply void of substance. And somehow, some way, we still think that there is an Oz that will make our idols come alive. Everyone is senseless and without knowledge, Jeremiah writes. Every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. His images are a fraud. They have no breath in them. That's not an accidental quote. The very thing that Adam and Eve had was the breath of God that made them alive. And here Jeremiah says, he reminds the people, listen, the idols that you have decided to seek seek after The wood, the clay, the stone, the idols of metal, of straw, all of those things, they have no life. There is no breath in them. This is Jeremiah's polemic against idolatry. Idols are man-made. They're impotent, false, and worthless. Now, lest we're too hard on the Israelites once again, how about you and me? Can you identify your own idols? Can you identify those things that if you really had a magic wand, you could make those idols come alive like the Wizard of Oz? Well, let me ask you three questions, and I put them in your sermon notes so you can think about these this week. Here's one question. What things take the place of God in my life? A second question. Where do I find my significance and confidence? And a third question that might sound weird, but it's this: What makes me really angry? The reason I ask that question is that anger usually erupts when a god of ours is knocked off a shelf. What would the prophet say about our private idolatries? You mean to tell me that you worship movies? Do you mean to tell me, Jeremiah would say, "You must be joking. The images on that movie screen are not even real. The characters in that soap opera that you watch don't deserve your pity. When you pull the plug, when you turn off the projector, they all vanish. Jeremiah was not soft on this. Jeremiah would say, you mean to tell me that you worship your work? Come on, get real. Your career cannot give you lasting satisfaction no one ever says at a retirement dinner or a deathbed, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. No one. Politics? Come on. Power? Sex? Drugs? Alcohol? Are you kidding me? You think that these things will satisfy you? You think that Oz will make these things come alive for you? One of the great 20th century Hollywood icons was Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn um, Some of those of you who are old enough like me to remember her, just kind of vaguely because she was famous really in the 50s, was this beautiful bombshell of a woman that was kind of every man's dream, every man's fantasy. One of her husbands, and she had several, was Arthur Miller. Arthur Miller describes his marriage to Marilyn Monroe in his autobiography entitled Time Bends. He talks of her slow descent into dependence on barbiturates, her depression, her growing paranoia, and finally her hostility. He was afraid for her life. And after a doctor swayed to give her another shot so that she could rest, Marilyn finally fell asleep. As Miller watched her sleep, he was moved to later write, and this is what he wrote in his journal. I found myself straining to imagine miracles, he writes. What if she were to wake up and I were able to say, God loves you, darling. And she were to believe it, how I wished I still had my religion and she hers. End quote. See, beneath the layers of hurt and addiction remained this awareness that God was the only one that could fill that void. It's not coincidental that I opened this series of messages talking about Elvis Presley. There were not two more glamorous icons in the world than those two. And both of them died with almost a prayer on their lips. Lord, are you real? Because we have come to believe that there is something in our life, whether it's Merrill Monroe or you or me, that will satisfy us, that will give us life. And when it fails to give us life, we pray that there is an Oz out there that will make it come to life. There's another occasion when there's a showdown between a man-made God and the Lord God Almighty. Those of you who have been around the Bible and church and Christianity for some time know this story. For others of you, the story is new. It's a story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. And you can find it in your Bible way in the back of the Bible uh, in 1 Kings chapter 18. Here was a showdown between God, Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, and the God of the prophets. There were 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. And these 950 prophets and all of their adherents were gathered up there to show off their gods. And so Elijah said, I've got it. And there's Elijah, right? 950 priests and then there's Elijah. And I was I've got to, I've got a, instead of us having a wrestling match, because you guys had won, there's 950 of you. How about, why don't we have our gods have a wrestling match? They said, oh, now that sounds interesting. And so Elijah suggested, let's build a fire. And uh, we'll build this nice big fire, and we'll get a, uh, we'll 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 kill an ox, and we'll put the ox on top of it, and whichever God will light the fire, we'll keep our hands away from it, you know, no bicks or anything like that. We'll keep our hands away. Whoever lights, if your God lights the fire and 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 burns that sacrifice, then your God will be smart, and if yours can't, then maybe mine will. And so they took him up on that. That, that test. And so they put the wood together. They put this big bowl on top of the wood. And then the prophets of Baal at Asherah stood back and they started praying and dancing and chanting and everything. And it was all exciting and everything. And, and then after 10 minutes and 20 minutes and an hour and their dancing wasn't so hot anymore. And then Elijah, and I love Elijah because he's cynical and he's kind of twisted like me. I love Elijah. And, and this is what Elijah said. He said, shout louder. And then he said, uh, maybe maybe your God is busy or traveling. Uh, good news for a modern man used to say, or maybe he's on the toilet, okay? Yeah, but something's wrong with your God because he's not getting the message. And after a while, they just gave up and they said, okay, it's your turn. And so Elijah said, okay. And so he built his little wood and he put the bowl on top. And then he did something else. He poured about 50 gallons of water in the pit. He said, you know, this setting this stuff on fire is too easy for my God. So let's soak the wood really good. I mean, let's get a really good drench. We'll just literally put it like it. it's in a pool. And so he did that, and the wood's there, and it's all wet, and the bull's on top of it. Elijah stands back, because Elijah was smart, and he knew his God was real. He stands back. He says, okay, God, have at it. And this is what we read in 1 Kings 18. This is, this is awesome. Listen to this. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. Uh, Elijah's praying. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. The wood, the stones, the soil. Everything there, it was burned up, right? And it also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. They fell flat on their faces. And they cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Now, if you put up a scarecrow, Against the Almighty God? If you put up your idols, your idolatries, whatever it is, your job or alcohol or drugs or sex or whatever your idolatry might, you put that up against God and it will fail every single time. That's what Jeremiah said. In fact, Elijah asked the question of these people gathered, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. Make up your mind. (laughs) Here's the evidence. Make up your mind. God says, listen, I know how easy it is to follow after an idol. I, I know how e- easy it is to, to believe that something on this earth, something on this rock that we call home, this kingdom of man, that something you have come to believe, this is what I really need to be happy and content in my life. Jeremiah reminded the Israelites this. He said, no one is like you Oh Lord, you are great and your name is mighty, empowered, compared to an idol, compared to a scarecrow. Are you kidding me? The God of all creation? Whatever stronghold you may have, whatever you may have come to believe will give you life. Whatever idol may be in your life, God, listen please, God is greater still. Jeremiah said he is king of the nations. 10.7 An idol can be only in only one place at a time. A scarecrow is only one place at a time. But God is everywhere. He is the true God. 10.10 10. The true God. Idols are false. They're witless. They're shams. But the Son of God who came... 2,000 years after, said, I have promised you, I have come to give you life and to give it you abundantly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Jeremiah said he is the living God, 1010. Scarecrows are dead, empty, filled with straw. Their heads are full of stuffing. They have no breath in them. God who is alive, has victory over your life and over your circumstances. Only God can save you, forgive you, heal you, bring you back to life. And 10.10, He is the eternal King. You will live with me forever. Scarecrow, scarecrow can't promise that. An idol can't promise that. You will live with me forever. Why on earth would you settle for a scarecrow when the ever-present, the way, the truth, and the life, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God who is near, the God who is alive, and the God who offers you forgiveness and grace absolutely and abundantly, why would you ever give that up for straw? Jeremiah said it this way in verse 16, For He, God, Jehovah, is your portion. Now, that's kind of a weird statement, but let me tell you what that means. He is your portion. It means a share or an allotment of the inheritance. God is your portion. He said, you belong to me and all that I have, God says. He says, that's all the Israelites. God says that to you and me today. All that I have belongs to you. You know, um, one day we're going to all have our decisions stand before us. Whether we follow this God or this God. But one thing we can be sure of is this. That the God of all creation, the God who lives and is alive, the God who loves you, who died for you on the cross, that God is greater than anything man could ever make. And the truth of that is found in these closing words in chapter 10, verses 12 to 16. I'd like you to listen to this amazing verse. Would you close your eyes with me and just let these words soak into your spirit. Chapter 10, verses 12 to 16. But God made the earth by His power. He founded the world by His wisdom and stretched out the heavens by His understanding. When He thunders... The waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out of the wind from his storehouses. Everyone is senseless and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. His images are a fraud. They have no breath in them. They are worthless. The objects of mockery, when their judgment comes, they will perish. He who is the portion of Jacob is not like these, for he is the maker of all things, including Israel, the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord Almighty is his name. Amen.